Thank you for subscribing to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. Parkway Fellowship, commonly referred to as The Park, is a purpose-driven church in Katy, Texas, recognized for its innovation and rapid growth. Designed for the person who might not be used to attending church, The Park, one of the only purpose-driven churches in the area, has quickly become one of the most popular West Houston churches for people new to their faith, to church, or to living in the Katy area. It is our prayer that God changes your life through this message from Senior Pastor Mike McGowan. Uh, my name is Mike McGowan. I'm the pastor here at Parkway Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to the church today. I want to welcome you to round two of our message series called Our Family Fights, and today we're talking about conflict. Um, I remember Amy and I had some conflict. It was on our wedding day, so we're off to a good start. <laughs> uh, I had booked us in a hotel at DFW Airport because, you know, we had an early flight out the next morning, and... Um, Anyway, uh, little did I know that the, where the tram dropped us off to get to our airport, I mean to our hotel room, literally the hotel was a mile away. Now they had a nice like air-conditioned tunnel that you could walk through, but I'm not kidding you. I stood at the end of this tunnel. I couldn't see the end of it. It was so far away. And to make matters worse, one of us had packed two bags. One of us had packed five bags. Now, in order to get you to get permission to tell you this story, Amy made me promise to tell you that I was the one that actually packed the five bags. So, um, now, now it gets better because look, here's the thing. I was so cheap that I wouldn't pay a guy like money to put all our stuff on one of those carts to take us down. So anyway, so we're walking down this endless tunnel, loaded like pack horses with all of our stuff. And literally with each step, I could feel trouble brewing. <laughs> because, because I knew that, you know, Amy hauling bags down the long tunnel, you know, was not the way she thought her honeymoon was supposed to start. So anyway, we finally make it to the end and we get there and the lobby of the hotel is packed. I mean, it's packed. There have been three canceled flights. And so everybody is in line to get a hotel room, you know, they all, cause they all have a voucher. So anyway, there's no place to sit. So Amy just falls in a heap on the floor, surrounded by all our bags, you know, and I'm looking at her and she's got, I told you so written all over her face, you know? So I go and I stand in line. No kidding. 45 minutes later, 45 minutes later, I come back with our room keys and I wisely pay a guy to put all our bags on one of those little rolly carts and take, so we get to the elevator, there's a huge line, you got an elevator and the guy says, hey, I know a quicker way. So we follow him like around the corner, he takes us to the maintenance elevator. You know the one that opens like a garage door like this and he puts us in there and, and it smells kind of funny. Yeah, and I look at Amy, you know, yeah, she's feeling romantic at this point. (laughs) So I'm thinking, man, this is not good. So anyway, we finally get to the room, and the guy's got like one of those like master pass, like hotel key cards, and like open every room in the hotel. And uh, he's about to open our room and, you know, show us in. Now, let me pause and tell you this. I had booked us in like a honeymoon suite, okay, and they're supposed to have 
strawberries and flowers, you know, all this stuff ready for us, you know, like when we get in the room. Well, this guy, unknowingly, he, he opens the door to the room adjacent to ours, okay? And it's like one of those econo rooms that airline personnel stay in for like a few hours when they're waiting for their next flight. So literally, the guy, he, he, he unlocks the door, and he opens the door, and he says, welcome to your suite, and he opens the door. And all Amy sees is this shotgun room with a little twin bed. And she says, I don't think so. I did not sign up for this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, I, now we got it all straightened out. But I'm telling you, we still laugh about that one. <laughs> we still laugh about that to this day. And uh, I'm telling you, there's situations that come up that put us into conflict with the people in life that we love the most, right? And, and don't they tend to happen always at like the most inopportune time? I mean, those area conflict always happen just like this. And, uh, and that conflict doesn't happen just between husband and wife. It happens between parents and kids. It happens between brothers and sisters. It happens between grandparents and their grown kids, even grandparents and grandkids. I mean, conflict just happens in our families. And if we don't, handle conflict the right way, then tension can build up over time until finally we're, we're walking on eggshells. Resentment and unresolved anger accumulate so much so to the point where it totally erodes relationships to the point where it can lead to divorce. Teenagers rebel against their parents Grown kids have conflict with their, ki- with their parents and grandparents back with grandkids. I mean, it leads to problems all over the place. Not to mention just the personal stress and strain of living in a household where there always seems to be conflict. So the question for us is, how, how can I have less conflict in my family? How do I handle it when, like, bad hotel experiences just seem to happen to us? How can I minimize the damage of conflict when conflict does happen? Well, thankfully, the Bible gives us some great instruction here in, in, in this. In the story that we're going to look at today, a husband and wife find themselves locked in a classic battle, and neither one of them wants to back down. Okay, Um, And it's through this story that we learn what we should do during conflict. And by the way, these biblical guidelines that we're going to talk about today, they work in every family relationship. They, They work between husband and wife. They work between brother and sister. They work between parents and kids. They work with grown kids and grandparents. They work with, you know, cousins and aunts and uncles and in laws and outlaws, whoever's a part of your family. Okay. It works, for all, it works for all of them, all right? So, let's start with the question. Go ahead and pull out your message notes if you haven't done so already. And let's ask this. How can I have less conflict in my family? Well, here's number one. Number one, avoid a harsh startup. You got to avoid a harsh startup. Let me give you a little background of this story before we read it. Um, King David, it's the same guy who killed Goliath. He has found the Ark of the Covenant. Um, this thing, it's the same Ark that Indiana Jones found back in the early 80s. Um, 
He's found the Ark of the Covenant and he's bringing it back to Jerusalem. And as he's bringing it back, he decides that he's going to celebrate by dancing in front of the Ark in a linen ephod. Now, an ephod is a religious garment that was worn by priests. It's a tightly fitting garment. It's sleeveless um, and it, it's cut just, uh, just below the hips. And so when David strips down to this, I mean, like, although it's not wrong, like, it's a little inappropriate. But hey, you know, he's the king. He's going to do what he's going to do. All right. So now let's read the story. Okay. Check it out. Um, it's in, it's all found in second Samuel chapter six, chapter six, beginning verse 12 and then selected verse five. So David went down and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David. That's Jerusalem, by the way. To the city of David with rejoicing. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might. While he and the entire house of Israel brought, the, brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul. Now, look, Michael is David's wife. And she's the daughter of Saul, who was the previous king right before David. Um, as Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window, when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. Verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household. Circle to bless his household. We're going to come back to that in just a second. To bless his household. Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said... How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls with his, as servants as any vulgar fellow would. Okay? I want you to underline all that. All right? I know part of it gets lost in translation, but I'm doing the best I can here. And, but here's what I want you to do. After you underline all that, I want you, beside, somewhere underneath there, write the word sarcasm. Just write the word sarcasm. Now, we know from other passages, that Michael loved David. But after they get married, things aren't going all that well. I mean, David is a great king. He's a great warrior. He's a great leader. But he's a terrible husband. And he's an even worse father, which we're going to find out in two weeks. And during the story, we're going to read then. And so Michael is disgusted with David's behavior because you know here he is he's dancing around in front of the ark you know wearing a little bit more than just holy underwear and you know she's 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 appalled at his behavior and you know she basically saying seriously David I mean get a grip this is embarrassing you're the king for heaven's sake but get this what's David on his way home to do he's on yeah he's on his way home he's gonna bless his household now, she doesn't know this. And so when David comes to the door, she greets him with a bowl full of sarcasm. You know, she bases, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing the side of the slave girls as you know, as any vulgar person would. I mean, that's how she responds. Look, here's the deal. If you want to avoid conflict in your marriage, or honestly, in any family relationship, you have to avoid a harsh 
startup. You have to avoid a harsh startup. Because when you start a conversation harshly, there is only one way that conversation is going to go. That's downhill, right? We've all experienced that before. So let me ask you. When your spouse does something that you don't approve of, or when your kids do something again that you have asked them not to do over and over before, or, you know, teenagers, when your parents ask you to do something, you clearly are doing something that's much more important. How do you typically start your response? I mean, do you start with a harsh tone of voice? Do you start by serving up a bowl full of sarcasm? Do you start with accusation and blame? Do you fire it up with a little bit of anger? All of those things are a harsh startup. So how can you start a conversation without a harsh startup? Well, let me give you two key ways to do it. Here's, these are your bullet points. Here's the first thing. First thing is this. Come back and talk about it when you're calm. Come back and talk about it when you're calm. Look, if you can feel your blood boiling, just stop, cool off, and then come back. Second thing you can do is this. Start with a question. Start with a question. You know, what made you dance in a linen ephod as opposed to your regular clothes? Now, don't say it's sarcastic. What made you dance in a linen ephod instead of your regular clothes? Moron, you know? You know, basically, if you can add the word moron and it makes total sense, that's sarcasm and not the way to go, all right? Because look, you might discover that there might be a reason that you were totally unaware of, that maybe that person was coming to bless you in some way, like David was. But you miss all that, unless you start with a question. But it's not just a harsh startup. There's a second thing that we need to do when it comes to conflict, and that is this. Number two, don't allow contempt to take root. Don't allow contempt to take root. Let me go, let's go back to the story, and then let me show you part of David's response after we look at Michael one more time. In uh, 2 Samuel 6, 16, it says, The ark of the Lord was entering the city of David. Michael, daughter of Saul, was watching from a window... And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, underline this, she despised him in her heart. Even before David got home, she already despised him in her heart. Which tells me this is probably not the first time that she's felt like this. But now, she has contempt for him. It has gone beyond just having contempt for the issue. It has now become contempt for the person. (laughs) Now, David doesn't do much better in his response to Michael. So she greets him at the door with a bowl full of sarcasm. There's a harsh startup to the conversation. But look how David responds to that. Verse 21. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. He's basically saying to her, he's like, look, God chose me to be king and not your dad. Okay? God didn't choose 
anyone from your side of the family. He chose me. I'm the king here. And so who are you to criticize me? You know, if it weren't for me, you'd be an outcast just like every other member of your family. Yeah, way to go, David. That's awesome. That's that's getting it done. Really, really sharp there. Really sharp. Look, instead of Look, instead of dealing with the issue, getting it back to the issue of dancing in front of the ark and a linen ephod, David doesn't even address the issue, does he? He makes the whole thing personal. He shows contempt for Michael and her entire side of the family. That's how he responds. Look, marriage studies show that having conflict over an issue does not lead to destruction of a marriage. But contempt is utter poison. Sarcasm, mockery, sneering, cynicism, hostile humor, and name-calling are all signs of contempt. And when David responds as he did, he escalates the conflict. It doesn't resolve it. It doesn't make it better. Now, Let's all just be honest here for a second. We have all taken conversations way too far. I mean, I know I have. You know, we have all taken something personally and then made it fired right back with other personal comments. We've all done that. And that doesn't lead to any kind of resolution, does it? I mean, when we start with a harsh startup, And then we respond with a personal comment. All that does is leads to more and more contempt in a relationship, which poisons that relationship. But look, here's your feeling. It's okay to talk about an issue, but you can't turn it into contempt about the person. As soon as you make it personal, you've crossed the line and you're poisoning, poisoning That relationship. Look, if you want God to bless your marriage, you've got to start fighting for your marriage and not fighting with your spouse. If you need to start fighting for your kids instead of fighting with your kids, you need to start fighting for a relationship with your grown parents. I mean, as a grown adult with your parents and not fighting with them. Grandparents, you've got to stop fighting with your grown kids and with your grandkids. You've got to start fighting for them. Because it's when we do that, that's when we can do things like avoid a harsh startup. And we can't, we can't ever make it about the person. We have to keep it about the issue. And when we can do that, that's when we're fighting for our families and not fighting with our families. Now, even though, yeah, there's going to be some conflict, but it minimizes the damage in a big way all right now look this last parent point that we have today it deals just with marriage okay but your marriage affects your whole family and even more importantly the example you set with your marriage and even grandparents example you set with your marriage it is a model for how your kids will respond to conflict one day when they get older okay so Here's point number three, and that's this. Husbands, take initiative to lead to resolve conflict. Husbands, take the initiative to lead to resolve conflict. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians 5.22. It says, wives, understand 
and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the, same, the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Look, honestly, we could do an entire series over this passage, okay? But we don't have time for that, so I want to focus just on one aspect when it comes to dealing with conflict. And that one aspect is this, is that the husband is supposed to lead the family. Look, that doesn't mean that the wife is the doormat. That doesn't mean that the, whatever the husband says goes, okay? But what it does mean is that someone has to start a new pattern in resolving conflict. And that person should be the husband. Think, think, about, think about David and Michael here for just a moment. Think about them. David had a great opportunity to lead through a conflict. But he doesn't. He responds to the harsh startup by making it personal and escalating contempt. Michael has a great opportunity to take a great victory by her husband and to celebrate it. But instead, she takes what should have been a great day and she makes it a totally miserable day by serving a bowl full of sarcasm with a harsh startup because she already has let contempt take root in her heart. That's how it went down for them. Look, over here in this corner, I've got a recliner. Because honestly, when it comes to conflict, most men, they just want to sit down and they want to avoid it. Okay? And, I mean, because they think, okay, if I just ignore it long enough, maybe it'll go away. That would be good. Okay? Which, by the way, drives women nuts. Uh-huh, I heard it over here, yeah. I'm glad y'all are sitting up front, all right? And so women basically respond, when there's a vacuum of leadership, women basically say, well, you know what? Well, somebody in the family's got to wear the pants. And they start making decisions. Now look, this whole dynamic of doing family, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. But over in this corner, here's what God says. God says that family and how it should work, the leadership of the family ought to work, I think it's best illustrated by two locomotives. Because you'll notice a lot of trains, they're pulled by one locomotive, more, more than one locomotive, especially when the load is heavy and there's a lot at stake. You know, typically, most conflict in marriages come when somebody's not pulling their load, right? And so when it comes to marriage... The Bible says that, I mean, think about this is the husband and this is the wife. When you're talking about a, a family relationship, you know, if the wife is pulling one way and the husband's pull, go leading the other way, family's not going anywhere, right? And wives, sometimes your husband is leading, you're just not following. Because the direction, you think you ought to be going this direction, you think you ought to be going this direction. And sometimes you'll say, okay, fine, I'm going to do this, but I'm not pulling. I'm not going to be supportive. (laughs) And when that happens, you just become another car in the train making the load that much heavier and harder for him to pull. 
And husbands, it starts with you. You have to start leading your family. And when you start leading your family, and wives, when you come behind and you start to go with your husband, then things can, you, you as a family can go very far, very fast. Now, you can't do this because two trains pulling like this is going to derail the whole thing, right? That's why God says it works like this. You work together, doubling your pulling power. And that blesses and benefits your family. All those other scenarios, they don't help your family. They hurt your family, right? And so God says, look, this is the way it ought to be. And look, here's the thing. Ultimately, it, you know, somebody has got to say, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not giving up on this family. I am not going to start any conversation harshly. And I'm not going to respond harshly to another harsh startup. I am not going to start taking things personally. And I am not going to respond with other personal attacks. I am not going to let contempt take root in my heart. Now ultimately, that needs to be both husband and wife. But men, it starts with you. It starts with you. And when both husband and wife begin to follow God's pattern for relating in a marriage, it'll totally change the dynamic of your family. It doesn't mean that you won't ever have any conflict. Look, bad hotel experiences are going to happen. Okay, I mean, they just do. But look, here's the deal. Even when those circumstances do happen and, and you're ripe for conflict, you cannot start, you cannot begin a conversation with a harsh startup. You cannot make things personal and you cannot allow contempt to take root anywhere in your heart because it poisons your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with grandkids, with any relationship. And when, and men, if you will man up and begin to take more leadership in your family, and wives yield at times to that, then I'm telling you, you've, you're, start, you're traveling down the road where your family is going to travel very far very fast with God's blessing because you're doing it his way. And that's how you can have more leadership and a lot less conflict in your family. So here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to pull out your connection card. I want you to hold it right next to your message notes. And on your card and on your notes, I want you to check the next step or steps you want to take today because you're going to turn the card in, but you're going to take the notes home. So check both places. And maybe it's this first next step. I promise to avoid, to avoid a harsh startup by instead talking about it later or asking a question or finding out why. Would you do that? And that's teenagers, man. You need to do that too. You need to avoid that harsh startup, teenagers. Husbands, you need to. Wives, you need to. Grandparents, you need to. Number two. I commit to keep the focus of conflict on the issue and not let it become personal. 
big next step. Critical. Three, as a husband, and the teenagers, if you're not a husband yet, this, make a commitment now so that one day when you become one, as a husband, I will take the initiative to lead in starting a new pattern of resolving conflict. Men, would you do it today? Start fighting for your family. And do a lot less fighting with your family. Number four, as a wife, I will support my husband when he takes the lead in starting a new pattern of resolving conflict. Would you do it? Even if you don't totally agree with it, would you do it? Because that's the challenge. And I think God is sometimes going to allow your husband to, he's going to lead your husband to make a decision that you're not initially going to agree with because it's a test for you. Thanks, Pastor Mike. I'm never coming back. Awesome. Okay. Sorry, you got that little comment for free. Here it is, last one. I want to become a Christ follower for the first time in my life. Look, maybe you thought about becoming a Christ follower last week. Last week we talked a lot about becoming a Christ follower. And look, here's the thing. You're not going to resolve conflict in your family unless you start doing it God's way. In order to do it God's way, you need him to lead you. And he can't lead you unless you allow him to come into your life. And you do that by asking Jesus Christ to forgive, come into your life, to forgive you for everything you've ever done, and then pledge to follow him from this day forward. There's a sample prayer at the bottom of your message notes for how to do that. Pray that prayer right now, would you? If you're ready to pray that prayer, you've never prayed it before, pray it right now. And become a Christ follower today. Let me pray for all of you as Pat and the worship team come back up. Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you, God, for for how you have laid out a plan for us to resolve conflict. And that, Lord, that you would help all of us, myself included, God, to avoid harsh startups. Father, to never allow contempt to take root, to not take things personal, not make things personal, but we would keep it about the issue, and then after that, drop it. And I ask that you would give us the courage. Help us to be courageous as men, especially, but as families also, to start fighting for our families. Stop fighting with each other so much. And by doing that, God, you would help us and lead us to become the men and the women, children that you'd always, you've always designed for us to be. Help us to do that in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. Our prayer is that God has given you at least one next step to take today in your walk with Christ. For more information about Parkway Fellowship or to contact us, visit www.parkwayfellowship.com. To talk with a pastor about becoming a Christ follower for the first time, you can call our offices at 832-222-9282. 